There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Books Boys, live from the Grand Library, the Dean and PJ. Guys, keep calm and read your tickets. Uh, PJ, we're using the Anna Karenina method here. He's PJ. Hello there. I'm the Dean, and we are the Books Boys. The one and only. This is the Books Boys show. Get it? Buy it? Books. Books. We did it. We actually did the intro correctly. Oh, we did the intro. We did the intro. But I am still very much confused about what Biblos, books, hun, what it's all about, or known as knigi and shkanske. There's so many different words, but I just, it's, a, it's an abstract concept. What is that? If you look at my teacup here, you'll see we've got, I believe, some books uh, on the teacup. So, but, but I can't read them. I'm struggling to open them. That's the problem. Well, that's the thing. Like, it's like, where is it? Where is it? You know, like trying to read the walls, trying to read between the, you know, that's where the phrase comes, trying to read between the lines. And it's like, I'm trying to read between the lines of like the pavement cracks and like, I see stuff yeah. on the table, like, you know, lines. So it's like, you know, I'm trying to read it, but it's difficult. I saw a big crack in the plaster in the wall when I was going to a, a car park and I just tried to read in there. Uh, I got some dust in my like, face, man. I, it wasn't good. I, mean, I thought that's I thought that was the alchemist. You know what I mean? It's supposed to be a good play. And I was trying to read mm. that between the cracks in the wall. Yeah. Anyway. Should I mention also, we're joined by little Alfred. There he is. Yeah. He's there. He's there. I, thought Alfred, I, I thought he went money laundering one day and just left us behind. He wasn't there one show and I was thinking, okay. Did he take all that Patreon money? He I'm did wondering. take all the Patreon money, to be fair. Um, but he also, he likes his holidays as much as we do. Um, and so that's the thing, you know, is his vaca- his mandatory vacation time. But since we mentioned it's it, guys, go to the Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash booksboys. You can get this show early. You can also oh. get Playboys, um, all the back catalogue. Plus, we're doing Playboys of Attica now with Alex. We're going to talk about some uh, Greek comedies and tragedies. You can get uh, film fellows, caper captains, music men, all sorts of things on there. So go and check out the Patreons. And it's like $3 or it's like a cup of coffee. or you know. Exactly. And um, contribute. And then we'd love to do more. And um, yeah. And there's some exciting stuff happening in the horizon. So um, just keep a lookout. Mm-hmm. We want to release a few episodes for free so you can you, yeah anyone subscribed to the podcast feed will notice that some of the older episodes from like a year and a half ago you know we're going to release those slowly for free just to get you kind of caught up and more people can hear them but there's so much more on the patreon so you need to go and, and check that out you don't want to wait a year to hear what we, what we thought about aristophanes you know exactly yeah but uh we started off because this was supposed to help jcse students um with shakespeare so we restarted off with Shakespeare mm-hmm. and try to try to help you know the young kids with their exams, you know. With Guillermo Shakespeare. 
Shaka Spiara. I suppose we also wanted to make it attractive to the new generation because I, I, I think Shaka Spiara is still, old Billy is still the hit, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I yeah. should mention I went to the Lyric Theatre in Belfast two weeks ago and I saw Romeo and Juliet. Oh, wow. I never I actually it. saw it performed before. I thought it was fantastic. It was a wow. semi-modernization. Like they uh, used yeah. the original dialogue and a set, but then they used like some modern music and costumes. So I don't know why, uh, but it, it kind of worked out well. Like I thought it was very good. I thought the acting was, was superb and the dramatic still you using, know, conclusion. Still using Middle English. I mean, yes. Shakespearean. But, no, okay, that's good. But it was a modern setting. I, I enjoyed it as well. And I like the lyric theater. They're very into that in Belfast. They would do very. I, I think I once saw Saint Joan by Bernard Shaw, Ooh. and they were playing it. <laughs> I think in an office setting, but it worked. So I mean, it's nice to be experimental. Yeah. I and I went a second time to the theater, to the Mac, to see an opera. So take out your your middle class checklist and mark up a little mark there. I went to see an opera for the first time. Um, nice. And it was the Barber of Sevilla, which was fantastic. Um, nice. Did, and it was, it was, you it, know, it was translated to English, but it was, it was amazing. Oh, it's translated to English. Yeah, uh, yeah. The whole thing is this the next Patreon thing? The opera, the opera boy. <laughs> yeah, the operettas. That's what we're, yeah, that's what we're gonna do next. <laughs> no. It was fantastic. I really, really loved it. Um, nice. Now, what I need to do next is get a dedicated opera box, like all the the chaps in Balzac's books, and you know. You just have like your, you just rent it all year long, a box at the opera, and then you can give it to all the ladies in time and tell them to meet you exactly. in the opera, you know? Exactly. That's that, that will work out. You try it out. Mm-hmm. And we're recording a little bit early this month because I'm going on a little trip to London. I'm going to go to the theater again to see Titus Andronicus um, with, with Playboy Alex and Dark Place Robert. So you're addicted to the old theater. The theater, darling. The theater. I am indeed. I love it. El Teatro. Now, a uh, little secret, there used to be a lovely little place in Belfast called Teatro, but uh, okay. we'll, we'll leave that for a little uh, little uh, Easter egg for the no one who will know what we're talking about. <laughs> exactly. Good old Teatro. Yeah. Miss it. Yeah, book I miss it as well. What's it all about? And so we're not sure yet, but I hear you have been reading some books, a few books. May I guess there might be a Balzac Maybe a bit of uh, okay. I, I don't know. Let's see what's in. It. I'm guessing a Balzac and maybe a Galdos, but I generally don't know people. So let's hear. Okay, you no, you're you're wrong. You tell me this time. I do have what? a Balzac queued up though for the next month or two, um, and I do have some more Spanish books. But I, this month I didn't read anything in Spanish, and I, I wanted to check in with some old friends, but not Balzac. He's next month. Um, right. Okay, okay. So we've got uh, a certain Alexandre Dumas. And oh, we've got uh, Wilkie Collins. Well, I could have guessed those two. Very nice choice. But he's not French, Dean. I mean, I, oh, unless it's Demo so or whatever. The <laughs> very first, so I read five books, but I'm only going to talk about four of them. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why. The very first book, I mentioned it last month that I had just started it and I kind of finished it um, very quickly. It was The Woods by Harlan Coben. And, you know, I think it's a Netflix series as well. People people love this stuff. Um, I saw Safe, which is another Harlem Coven series on Netflix as well. And um, they're just your usual. It was a guilty pleasure for me. It was just a palate cleanser after all the classic stuff and the Spanish stuff. Yeah. You can read it in a couple of days. It's your usual, you know, thriller type um, scenario. Basically, these kids get killed in the woods uh, many, many years ago. 
and this guy should have been looking after them as a kind of camp warden or well he was he was a kid himself but he was he was put in charge okay. of the, you know looking out for them that night guard guard duty or whatever and right, he, okay, yeah. he, they died on his watch essentially and one of them was his sister and now there's a big oh. conspiracy well are they really dead or did they go missing and then some things come back you know to haunt them from the mm. grave he finds a dead body and he says that's actually my friend who i thought died 20 years ago what's going on and then that opens up like a whole big thing uh, he's also the county prosecutor so there's like a legal case going on and it all ties together it's just one of those usual page turners you flick through it it keeps you and what's it it's done. what's it called again it's called the woods the woods okay okay yeah. so it, you know the sort of you know the sort of thing that it is i don't think i really need to you know what? give it a full yeah, yeah. review Sounding a bit Friday the 13th esque, is there a bit of a Jason character? Yeah, so the, the trick is you, you're meant to look after the kids, but you don't. You go skinny dipping naked for no reason at 4 a.m. <laughs> in the pitch black, and then you get killed by a guy in a hockey mask. And it just inexplicably, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a formula, right? It's the, it's, the, it's the Friday the 13th method. There we go. That's it. So, I did read four other books that I'm going to talk about in a bit more detail. And the first one is our good friend, Alexandre Dumas. And I read a book which, well... Yeah, you know, to be you, specifically right, Le yeah, Fard, yeah. not the song. Yeah. You know the score here. Um, we don't know what the book is. So, my version is called Marguerite de Valois. Okay? All right. And this lovely little paperback. And I bought this. I think you were with me when I bought this. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, a year ago, yeah. We got yeah, it's taken me that long to get through my, my endless queue of books. But oh, this book is also known as La Reine Margot, the Queen Margot. Ah, okay. And for a while in English, it was actually released anonymously. They didn't know it was by Dumas or it was disguised that it was by Dumas. <laughs> uh, so I don't okay. know why these little details always come up. But it's 1845. And yeah. it's set in, in Paris, obviously, um, during the reign of, I believe, Charles X. So if you've ever watched the TV series Reign on Netflix, you'll see, you'll know some of the characters from this. So we have Charles, we have Catherine de' Medici, um, and she's the villain of the book. Okay. Oh, well, uh. So Catherine de Medici's fantastic. She's this ultimate femme fatale. She's going around with poisonous perfumes and you know books that are poisonous to anyone who touches them and reads Ooh. them and uh, trap doors in the floor and you know trying to kill her own relatives and all this kind of stuff that's she's, a nice thing to do it's not like but she's fantastic lady. and and i think that she's right. depicted very well by by dumas okay um, cool. i'm gonna focus on the romance and i know that's gonna be a shock to you um well, I'm very shocked. I wasn't expecting that. There is some political the, stuff. The things coming out here, Dumas, and you focusing on, on, on romantic. <laughs> There's a very unexpected, very a, a twist yeah, turn. Right? You would never have thought so. <laughs> um, the backdrop is this political maneuverings, and there's this big issue with the Catholics versus the Huguenots, who were French Protestants. So there is <laughs> religious and political uh, underpinnings, but I kind of didn't really what? care about that. I was just like, so do they fall in love? You know? So. Important. We have Henry of it's, 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 What's all about, isn't it, Dean? Even it's not the focus of the of the plot. It's just for you. It's just about are they going to fall in love or not? Yeah, it is right. That's all I care about. So fair, fair enough. It, it's important. It is. It is indeed. So Marguerite marries the King of Navarre, Henry. Now Navarre is, of course, uh, Navarra in in Spain, and um, oh, yeah, okay. where Pamplona is. So I don't know why France was controlling it at this time, but France was controlling it at this time. Wait, 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 when was this again? It's set in the... 
That's what I want to know. Ooh, well, it was written in 1854. I don't know what time it was set in the. You'll have to forgive me. When when did when did um? Well, I can tell you now. Well, I'll just Google Margarita Valois because she was a you know, as far as real. If as far as I know, like uh, France, you know, they take over Spain for a few years in the 19th century beginning. But Looks I thought this like... story. Okay, no. So 1589. That is when she became queen of. Um, Queen of Navarre became the Queen of France. Right. Well, anyway, yeah, okay. I'm not well-versed enough in history, but okay. But just so you know, like, Dumas did take a lot of um, license with kind of oh, history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't always, yeah. So you can't really rely on that necessarily. But okay, so France taking over Navarre, but a Navarre, yeah. And that's not really even part of the story. It's just assumed that they have Navarre. Like, the, the, the book isn't okay. about them trying to capture it or anything like that. They've already got right, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Henry of Navarre is the king there, but he's not allowed to go there. He has to stay at the French court and be subservient to King Charles. Okay, um, but then there's another Henry who's Charles's brother, and really the mother, Catherine de Medici, wants him to be king. And then there's hmm. a third brother, and there's a lot of you know politicking and, and faffing about. But they at one point they send one of the brothers off to Poland, and he's so heartbroken that he's leaving. France for what he considers, you know, the wilds, like you know, the kind of the wild west, Poland, <laughs> the, the savages, you know, and he's sending me to the other end of the world. It's like an R on the train now, or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so they sent him to, to be king of Poland or something at one part. Oh, that, that's obviously that's a tragedy. So he, oh, so he's being made king of Poland, and he's complaining. They put him in charge, but he feels that it's a kind of exile, which it is. A, it is an exile. They want him all away from France, so he doesn't take his brother's throne. Okay. Okay. You know, but the, the King of Navarre, he's there. He marries Marguerite of Valois. It's a marriage, it's a political marriage, and it's a combination of the Catholics and the Huguenots. And mm. essentially what happens now is the husband and wife do not love each other or really care for each other at all. But they make a pact oh. to at least be, be civil and to look after each other's interests as friends, even though they're not in love. And right. he has a mistress yeah, yeah. and that's fine. And she just lets that go, you know. And to be fair... They're pretty true to each other. Henry Henry of Navarre is the good guy. He does event, you know, he he will become king if you look at your history. Um, but he's the only person Charles can trust. And at one point, Charles says, you know, no one loves me apart from Henry. So my wife doesn't love me. His wife doesn't even appear in the novel. She's mentioned twice. She doesn't appear. She's so irrelevant. Um, my mother doesn't love me because she's always plotting and scheming murders and you know disregarding my authority as king. Uh, the only person who really cares for me is Henry of Navarre, who actually stops an assassination attempt on King Charles. Mm. So even though they almost kill Henry because of his religion, because they think he's kind of king of the Huguenots. They think he's going to help this rebellion. Um, so all this kind of stuff is going on. And I'm, I'm not going to talk too much, as I say, about the, the religious aspect of it. But basically, there's just murders going on. Charles is sending people in to get murdered left, right, and center because of the um, the religious aspects, you know? Yeah, okay. Okay. So the best part is the part. two chaps. Yeah, there's a chap called Coconus and there's a chap called La Mole. Ooh. And these are, this is very Three Musketeers-esque. They turn up at an inn and they're just these two like hapless guys. I think they are counts. They're like kind of low level aristocracy or whatever. And they've been sent to, on missions to opposing camps within France, one to the Catholics, one mm. to the Huguenots. But they make friends in the inn and they decide to be friends. And then, you know, as the book goes on, they discover that they're really enemies and then they become friends again. And, and, you know, there's a cycle. But they become such firm friends that they're all this strong platonic love, that they're in love with them even more than they're in love with their women. Um, right. You know? And of course, romance, yeah. Yeah. To add to that, one of them falls in love with 
Marguerite de Valois. And another falls in love with her best friend. And now they're on opposing sides because their men are on opposing sides. But then they all come together and it's a bit of, you know, the women bringing everyone together. The men are mm-hmm. worried about their politics and the women are just like, let's think about the love and the friendship and, and all be friends. Um, so there's a little bit of that in there as well. Okay. And it's fantastic. And Coconus oh, and Lamo, the way they get on together, it's very D'Artagnan and the Three Musketeers style. Yeah, you like that. Yeah, and, yeah I mean, we're, we're, you were disappointed that Love the Auto Novel just didn't have that at all, right? So you were. This is a nice kind of reminder of that Dumas side. It is, okay. and I would say this is the best Dumas I've read in a long time. Oh, nice. Okay, go. No, I am worried because it has seven sequels, um, so oh, I can God. I can see it fast going downhill. <laughs> 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 oh lord okay are you, are you going to try reading or well I have one of them so I might try it it's called Chico the Jester yeah but just make sure it's not part four or something like that. yeah, I, yeah I no, know it's, part, it's part two I have part two and then after okay. that we'll you know we'll uh, we'll, we'll see. see we'll see we'll see in the next seven episodes which <laughs> but the way these two chaps get on together you know it's just fantastic they want to help each other there's nice dramatic there's a scene where one of them is in and he's you know he's being stabbed or whatever he's he's bleeding and he falls on Marguerite, the queen, you know, the queen of Navarre, and, and she's got blood, and she hides him in a cupboard from the guys pursuing her. And mm-hmm. um, it's just all these kind of big dramatic set pieces, you know, and she falls in love with him. Um, but of course, even though her husband has a mistress, it wouldn't have been proper for her to take a male, you know, a, 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 an right. affair, a lover. So she has to kind of hide that. Um, right. The whole thing, she has a hidden affair or? She has an affair or just like a platonic well, kind of... it's not clear that they sleep together, but she does eventually admit that she loves him. And these right, guys, okay. they'll do anything for love, you know, and that's their whole story is like, love is the only thing that matters. Like, I'll die right now as long as you tell me you love me and all this kind of stuff that I like. One of them's a little bit more romantic than the other. The other will sometimes be like, well, hold on, we do have some practical implications to take care of. Someone tried to murder me with a curtain around, you know, rope around my neck or whatever. Like, they're always kind of... One of them's a bit more practical than the other. Yeah. Um, But the whole thing is is just fantastic. And if you like your Dumas, if you like your Three Musketeers or anything like that, I would say this is definitely one to to check out. There's a little scene during one of the murders I'm going to mention. Um, This is the thing that reminds me of the Three Musketeers. He's going to pay his father's debt to this man. But he also has to kill the man. And he says, well, I've been ordered by, by my boss to kill him, but my father asked me to repay the debt. So I'm going to repay the debt first. You know, that's the honorable, gentlemanly thing to do. And then I'll kill him. And right, so okay, I, what a, you know, he goes in to do this. And they're begging and they're saying, don't kill us. Don't kill my little boy, my little Oliver or Olivier. Don't kill my little son as well. And then the son gets up and tries to attack him. So he has to kill the son and calls him a traitor. So there's a lot of drama. And I think, as I say, it's maybe not as good as the Three Musketeers or the Count of Monte Cristo. But it would be on a level with, say, the Black Tulip. You know, it's maybe that sort of B-tier um, book. A lot better, as I say, than some of the other ones that I've done. Well, I did enjoy the other ones so much then. Yeah, there was some that just weren't as good. Um, and I didn't enjoy that much. But this one was, was properly good. But I don't think I want to really say too much more about it. I mean, it gets all crazy near the end. There's a lot of politicking involved, as I say. There's a lot of twists and turns. Yeah. And Catherine de' Medici's trying to kill people all over the place. And... Um, you know, get into a lot of things like that. There's an interesting part here, for example, where she sends someone to to arrest Henry of Navarre. And she says, and you know, what might happen is he might resist. And the guard says, so you want me to kill a king? 
And she's like, I didn't mention killing anyone, but you got to arrest yeah. him. And if he resists, you've got to defend yourself. And the soldier's worried because, of course, she's not going to stand over it when he eventually gets done for regicide, you know? Yeah, yeah. So there's mm. a lot of that kind of thing. And there's a sad bit where this poor little boy, and he is a boy, and he's a messenger type, you know, a, a page boy or a groom. And she yeah. says she's trying to get information from him, and he won't give up the information. He's a good boy. And she says, what if I give you, like, 10,000 gold pieces or whatever? So she gives him the gold. He gives her the note. And as soon as he walks away, she opens a trap door and just lets him fall and die. And then goes down the stairs and takes the gold back. And she says, this stupid selfish boy has made me walk down all these stairs to get the gold back now. You know, just total disregard for other other people's lives. She sounds like a charming lady. Do you know about Catherine de' Medici? Like, I feel like this is what she's known for. No, but... uh... Yeah, no, no, but I've heard of the Medici family being quite cruel, but not, uh, I don't know too much detail about it. Mm-hmm. So he's taking liberties on a, on a real family, basically, and just probably exaggerating it, all right? I mean, in the TV show Rain on Netflix, which has nothing to do with Dumas, she's portrayed that way as well. She's always scheming. Okay, she's okay. always trying to get control for herself she's, or her sons. She's always, you know, using poisons. And in the TV show, she's also using Nostradamus. And um, so I think a lot of depictions of her are like this. Right, okay, okay. Interesting. Well, let me tell you what I've been reading, Dee. Okay. I've been, uh, I've been reading. I'm just going to get out the book here in a second. I've been reading a great uh, uh, book. I've been really enjoying it. It's called here you go. What is it Beyond Psychology? Ah, and, okay. And it's by Osho. It's one of his later books. So I've mentioned him before. Yeah, Beyond Psychology is called. So I mentioned The Way of the Clouds, if you remember back in September, I think it was. That rings a bell, yeah. Yes. And basically about him, that his philosophy is just basically go with the flow. And um, yeah. And basically here, this is that was an early book of his. And this one is one which he wrote, which he didn't write. It was just recorded and then put into uh, text, as most of his books were. And here he just basically talks about, like, you know, getting beyond... Um, the barriers that your everyday life imposes you it kind of talks about that we use our head too much that's why kind of like beyond psychology beyond science mm-hmm. in the sense of just in the sense of beyond like barriers we put ourselves in that we have a lot more potential than we think okay and so he talks he talks about basically at this point he's um not well loved by the world he's he's kind of a persona non grata in most countries and he's still a very controversial uh, fellow, indeed. And I can see why, though. He's very, he's very much against just everything, almost. Just, he's very much against society, very much against, uh, you know, religion, institution, politics. And he just mentions here that, you know, that basically that people have lost contact with themselves. So he talks about several things. He talks about getting back in, in contact with your with nature, for example, that he does like little practices like going under a tree and spending a lot of time there or like walking in the rain, for example, so you can get back in contact with your physical senses, basically. Okay. And the book's very interesting. I mean, that's why kind of one of the reasons why he's being portrayed as someone who's kind of sexually deviant because he is ultimately talking about kind of like, for example... Um, you know, letting go of those barriers as well. For example, why? What's all this about monogamy? For example, mm. he mentions because he feels like what's well, not really what animals do. So it's very much about like getting back to the natural instincts. And also, he talks about what I find interesting is uh, shame and 
feeling guilty and feeling bad about things and feeling like you have to do someone for something. And Jesse talks about that. That's just be careful maybe, there. Do something for someone. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, just make sure you get yeah. this the right way around. So we don't. Uh, well, what did I say? What did I say? Said, do someone for something. So we we don't want to. Do someone for something. Okay. Well, anyway, it's risky there. <laughs> it was getting risky. Well, the whole book is a bit uh, risky. He's a bit risky. But he just talks about you know, that we should get back into our instincts. We should let go of that feeling guilt. We should we should go back to our inner child. I find it very influenced by mm. by. Nietzsche. You love that. You love that stuff. The inner child. Yeah, I do love the inner child. So I mean, but I love the fact that he talks about talks about the way of the clouds. But basically, it's the same kind of philosophy he mentions here again. He does repeat himself often in a good way. I mean, just like reiterating in different stories. And back in the way of the clouds, and in this book, it's very much about. So you've got two kids, and one kid is misbehaving, one kid isn't. One kid is always behaving, and while superficially the one that's behaving very very well looks looks good, and it's like very easy to get along with him. Osho thinks that you're eventually you're suppressing that, and eventually will make you sick and a weaker person, morally okay. even, and physically and spiritually and and mentally. At least the kid who's misbehaving, um, he's at least setting boundaries. It's all about setting boundaries and saying, like, well, you know, this is what society says, but my natural instincts say I should go this mm-hmm. way. And rather than it becoming an anarchy, it just becomes a very natural, uh, free-flowing society, according to him, where everyone just basically, when they're really truly in contact with their intuition, cannot be perverse, because perverse is just that you're unnaturally out of contact with yourself. How do you yeah, feel cool. about this? I mean, do you feel that this is helpful to you, like day to day? Definitely, yeah. So, I mean, I read, I basically like his books in general. I just read a bit by bit and just meditate on it. I generally just re- read very slowly nowadays mm. and think about when we, even in the novels. And I think it's a great help because um, stuff like feeling guilty and feeling bad about this or feeling not good enough just brings me ultimately down. So yeah, this is there to remind me more than anything. It's just kind of he's kind of like an author who kind of shakes you awake a bit, like Nietzsche, and just says you can get out of that self kind of pitying, self deprecating, self criticizing state. And basically, that's what the book is. Was was he? He's a very he's a, he's much he's very much a scholar, though. That's what people don't realize. He has studied a lot of different practices, and, and there's a lot of Buddhism, Taoism, Zen Buddhism in there, and even modern Western science, um, Jungian, okay. Freudian psychology. He mostly does criticize most of these things, but he does come up with some stories and and a lot of original material as well. But um, so he's very much about. He's very much about like you know embracing everything that is there now, including stuff like shouting. I mean, his kind of meditation is more like a meditation where you shout for a while and then you remain silent for a long time. So it's always about extremes rather than like wishy-washy, you know, unsure what to do. So he is very much Kierkegaard-esque, where where Kierkegaard also thought it's the decisions that that are really important in your life. So the same here, guys, really what you, he's also saying where it's more like what you are and what you do right now and that you stick to your principles, to your own natural principles. Okay. But also at the same time, ironically, he's always very paradoxical. Also at the same time, immediately let go of whatever principles you have and become (laughs) naked again. So like also be open for like, yeah, maybe I'm completely wrong. So maybe these are my principles. Maybe I'm completely wrong as well. Hmm. 
And since, you, uh, since you've talked about it before, the inner child is something that I try to do a lot in my life now. I don't yeah. know if I ever actually told you that since you talked about it uh, before. On a yeah, you've mentioned, you mentioned it. Yeah. yeah. So what do you do then? Tell me. Just try to keep fun things. Like just sometimes you just need to be silly. Don't take life too seriously. Just remember yeah. the things that, that bring you happiness, but not even, yeah. not just in like a ultimate life happiness. Just like how can we be happy today? Let's do something fun. It could be something silly. Just, just have yeah. a good time. And I try to do that sometimes, you know? And he talks about that, actually. He talks about being that inner child, but like also very much being conscious about that rather than just, um, you know, like being conscious, like, okay, I'm doing this in, in order to like balance out my serious adult mm. side, for example. That can be too dominant. So that kind of push, pushes you down. Sure. Or even kids nowadays behave like adults. So it's all about contrast. You can also be too silly, I suppose. Sure, not... sure. Find a balance. Hold on. And breaking news PJ, you're wearing the bufanda. Do you not realize this? Of course no, I, I just noticed. I just noticed. Boys. The return of the Bufanda boys. Le Pink Bufanda. There it is. It's I'm for the Patreon. To... It's an extra payment. Extra, extra. This one's not just on the normal Patreon. You have to get yeah. some If you go to our Super Ultra Patreon Plus, you can see PJ wearing only the Bufanda. <laughs> oh, <you want it. laughs> That's a very expensive price. But <laughs> by special Lady request. Bufanda. Oh, by the way, I do find amusing. Osho is constantly criticized for being someone who says he's spiritual, and then he walk and then he drives around in limousines and stuff like that, or drinks champagne. Oh, okay. This is because <laughs> he talks about, but he he's open. He, first of all, two things about he talks about contrast. So he kind of says like, "Well, this is I'm just going to do this because I have been meditating for years. So I'm really going to party hard." And second of all, he purposely provoked people. He was always a provoker. But I like the idea. That you, rather than just partying sometimes and the meditating sometimes, why not go for one extreme to the other? Why not just like meditate and then like feel what it's like to be the complete party goer and just just lose your head, like lose your head mm. and then find yourself back. I do like this, um, you know, it kind of like shakes you. It's kind of like living and dying and then live, and then rebirth. There's something very yeah. refreshing about it. I think that's grand, yeah. So for all your party goers out there, I think you're doing great. I think the problem is personally, is that people go from one extreme, they stay too long on one extreme. So it's like too much partying mm. or even just too serious kind of academic meditating, just trying you to- You need a little again. bit of both and you need to try both to decide which one is really for you as well. I think. Yeah, exactly. Like what, what feels right. It's all about feeling, right? Yeah. So that's one of his latter books. Uh, he died pretty young and he's even stopped talking, uh, you know, the last few years. He's a bit mad, you know, but in oh, a good way. Wow. Good or bad, whatever it is. He was just mad. But I enjoyed that. And this is Beyond Psychology. It's volume one. I don't have the second uh, book, but um, I do highly recommend it. Uh, recommend it. It's okay. um, fun to think about. Um, before we move on to the next book, there's one thing I forgot to say, which I'd just like to mention real quick. Uh, it comes ahead, from a li- It's not a spoiler as such, but it comes from a little bit near the end of, um, of Marguerite Valois. I just want to give oh. you an example of the type of humor that's also present in the book. And I, I forgot to mention this. So at one point, a character is arrested. Okay, I'm not going to say who because I don't want to give any spoilers. Yeah. And he's saying, um, you know, do not let us mistake one another. I saw this figure. So he says, here it is. Isn't this the one you previously seen? It is. Write down that the accused recognizes the statue as the one he has heretofore seen in the possession of someone. He says, no, no, did not make me a mistake. I said, I just saw it. I didn't say there. He says, okay, well, what day did you see it? And he says, the only day that I was ever at Rene's house. He says, ah, you admit then that you were there. He says, well, I never denied it. So he turns to the clerk and he says, okay, 
right down to the accused admits himself as having gone to Renee's to work certain charms and conjurations. So <laughs> this is, and he does that the whole way through the proceedings. He'll admit to one small detail. He's like, yeah, yeah, I remember seeing him. He's like, right down that he saw him and conspired with him. <laughs> like, he's it's, it's always kind of That's doing good. that. Um, nice. And they only get out of a scrape by actually befriending the jailer. And, and and bribing, I think as well. Right, nice. uh, bribing the jailer and befriending the executioner is, I think, the way to do it. That's the way to do it. And there's a funny bit where they they mention the crimes that might happen, and he says, you know, we'll cut off your head, and we'll cut down your woods and destroy your chateaus. And he okay. says, as for my head, I knew that that was in jeopardy. But as for my woods and chateaus, I do not fear them in the least, and I defy all your hatchets and pickaxes to burn them, to harm them. Sorry. And the judge shouts silence, and he says, moreover, and he says, what, more, you'll do something to me after you've cut off my head? <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of okay. funny that, you know. Like it, like it, like <laughs> so the next, um, the next book, it's time, I feel so selfish, PJ. I talked about a book, you talked about a book. It's time for little Alfred to give his book review of the books he's nice. been reading this month. Okay, well, sadly, Alfred refusing to uh, be part of the show there, not giving us his view. I really had to Instagram post with him this week, and I really, really had to, you know, pressure him to do it. And now he won't even speak on the show. Um, You're not getting your wage like that, little Alfred, you know what I mean? You know, going on holidays, I feel like you're getting the bigger part of the budget anyway. And you're not even speaking. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating, frustrating at times. Well, I'm just going to take off mm. my three bufandas. That yeah, I've you just put on. You just run and you put on more scars after we acquired. talk. About <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll tell you a little bit about the next book I read. Um, this look at this lovely, lovely book here. Um, and when I open it up, it's one of those old leather books, and the spine is oh, falling wow. apart when you open it. And this this copy was printed in. I believe 1896. Wow. It's a very old copy of the book. And inside it says dedicated to Charles Dickens. Ah, it doesn't. Does it? It says to Charles Dickens, this story is inscribed as a token of admiration and affection by his ah, friend, yeah. the author. Oh, that's right. He was an apprentice, basically, of, of yeah. Dickens, wasn't he? It's Dickens' deputy. Um, keep calm and read your Dickens, but today we're reading Wilkie Collins, and this book is called Hide and Seek. Um, 1854. I haven't heard about it at all. Okay. I had uh, never heard of it either. I must confess. This is one of his what early was the last book you read? books. What was the last book? What was the last book you read from him again? Oh, the last Wilkie Collins. Oh, I don't know. We did Basil. We did No Name. We did After Dark. I think it was um, Yeah. I think it was No Name. And of course, you know, I've read... The anyway, how did you ones. find this one? I've read The Woman in White and the Moonstone, obviously. Yeah. Um, this was fantastic. Right. It's so exciting to find an unexpected Wilkie Collins, you know, in a second half. I think this is in the Magic Bookshop or somewhere like that, you know. And it's very nice to find. Um, this is a book of two parts. The hiding and the seeking. So, okay. Basically, we open with a little intro chapter called "A Child's Sunday," 
And it's about this little boy, Zach, and he's got very strict parents. Okay. And they're being kind of very mean on Sunday and they won't let him have anything fun. And they're very, very strict, you know, parenting. No picture books on a Sunday. It's a sin. Go and read your prayer book and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And the boy's like six years old or something. Oh, very good. So that's that's where this starts from. Sounds pretty good to me to be perfectly read. Um Okay. Well, it sounds a bit depressing so far. So what happens then? So basically, we have the two halves. So we, the hiding and the seeking. So the, the way the hiding starts, we have Zach now grown up. And and his father's still a strict educationalist. And he brings some Reverend Yollop in to help him like discipline the boy. Um, but he's a young man now. And he wants to do some art. And he has made friends with a very nice chap called Mr. Blythe who is an artist. And this is quite a long book that gives you some of the backstories of things that we don't need to go into, but there's a section on Zach's backstory. There's a section on Mr. Blythe's backstory and him marrying his, his lovely, I think she's called Livy, um, his, his wife, who is bedridden. His wife is disabled and bedridden. And he had a kind of a mean Victorian parent okay. also. Um, but the, the key thing here is Mr. Yeah, Blythe is just a lovely champ. He just goes around being kind to everyone, doing his art. And one of the things he does is he, he goes to the circus and he meets a little girl yeah. who's performing in the circus. And she gets her trick wrong and the circus owner beats her. And he says, I fell in love at very first sight. Very Dickensian. Yeah, yeah, it's very Dickensian. So he says, I fell in love at first sight with a child and he rescues her from the circus and brings him home and says, you know, now, now my, my poor bedridden wife will have a daughter. Um, now, the plan so unrealistic though I thought he's supposed to be a realist author well it's a bit strange because the way they talk about the love would, would come across yeah. as very suspicious and creepy nowadays they just talk oh, about right. how this child is so and she's like 10 years old or something <laughs> this girl is so beautiful and I've just fallen in love with her and he means like as a father but it's kind of creepy the way yeah, it's yeah. written you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. times will change yeah, Thank yeah you, you just wouldn't say it that way now but it's it's fine you know he speaks to mrs peckover who's her kind of guardian and she says well you know this woman turned up one day she gave birth she, she had the baby and then she died and we don't know who the, the father is and so this is like i've just been looking after her and my husband's a clown in the circus so she's just been with us in the circus for 10 years and then eventually this guy says well, look i'm gonna take the girl into my home the girl's called Mary, but he calls well, her my daughter. Nowadays, isn't it? Social worker. You know, you're not going to have social worker just some random guy going to service. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Times certainly have changed. I mean, it's intended to be an adoption, but yeah, there's no formal process here. They just decide, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll adopt her, and, and off we right. go. But I mean, can you can you imagine like nowadays someone writing that? And bringing that to the publisher and saying like, "Oh, this is just this is just realistic." I say, "No, it's not going to happen." I don't think I don't think this kind of stuff can be even published nowadays, let alone be studied in school. Probably not, to be fair. But one of yeah. the main themes here is that Mary, or as they call her, Madonna, is just extremely, extremely beautiful as she grows up, and you know all the men like her and everything else. And she's like, I think she's twenty-one or something later in the novel. Um, okay. But. 
she's she's also deaf and dumb okay or deaf mute or whatever the the technical uh, whatever the pc term is nowadays okay yeah again not the kind of phrasing i use nowadays it's obviously written a long time ago <laughs> yeah so she can't speak and she can't hear now she used to be able to until she had an accident falling off a horse and got into shock in the theater as part of the mistreatment and the theater owner is called a mr i think it's a mr jubber or something like that yeah mr jubber and he's a very Dickensian kind of chap. And he comes in with his hat and his waistcoats and, you know, demands that he get the girl back and makes idle threats and then disappears forever. But it is sort of a book about good people doing good things. You know, they rescue this girl. Blythe's a very good. He's very, you know, it's also trying to tell you to patient, this Victorian notion of morality and of patiently dealing with affliction, Right. The wife right. is bedridden and disabled. That's what this girl can't speak or or or, or hear. But it's just and you know. Be... Go ahead. No, to be fair, that's a very relevant theme at the time of the industrial revolution and shortly afterwards, right? I mean, you know, even the rich people were not in great health, often dying. People didn't always have the education. Yeah, so I mean, like, it, there's a reason why English literature at the time talks about it nonstop, especially in England. There is, yeah. And, that, and that's a big, big theme um, in the book. It, it, it's never explicitly mentioned, but it's always the under the underpinning. You know, these are the good characters. And there's no real villain. I mean, Mrs. Peckover's nice. Mr. Jubber's a villain, but he disappears. Um, we don't really have a villain, okay? So then we move on to the seeking. Huh. And what happens? So they think, you know, this girl Madonna, and they do some art. They, they sit around by the hearth and, you know, maybe eat some bread and, and do an, an evening drawing academy and they draw together. And it's all very lovely. Very awesome, you know? Yeah, you would like that kind of stuff, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but then what happens is this chap called Matt arrives from America and he's a bit of a savage. They say that he's, you know, been tripsing around the Americas and a lot of time in USA and he's... He's hardened and, and savage, and he doesn't know polite society. You know, he doesn't know how to speak politely and dress politely. And he sleeps on a on a rug on the floor and doesn't, you know, use his bed and all this kind of kind of stuff. Um, which I thought was very very funny. Uh, <laughs> what a rogue! And he befriends Zach, and they become instant brothers. Very immediate platonic bond. But we think there's something a little bit nefarious about this guy because he's very interested in Madonna. Okay. We wonder, well, is he some relative of hers? Could he even be the father, or 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 what? What is he? And I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to say what happens. Um, the only thing I will say is the book lacks a real villain, or it lacks real. It's just nice people doing nice things, and sometimes you think things are going to go wrong, but they never really do. You know, it it lacks peril. Yeah, but apart from that, but, um... it's good. And would you? How much? How would you rate it compared to the other column books? I think it's up there. I think it's just up there with all the good, the good ones. Um, and there's some nice bits here, for example. And I've included this in my notes just because it was funny. Zach and Blythe turn up to the to the art studio, and they just play leapfrog. They just for their for their athletics and their their gymnastics, they just leap over each other's backs before starting their painting. And it's just this nice like. This is how we take our exercise. And they, they refer to it, the technical language of leapfrog. This is called a capital back. And they, they treat like it's some kind of sport. Just leaping around over each other. It's very funny. Right, okay. But <laughs> everyone is everyone is nice. And we think there's some peril in the seeking, but there's not really... Nothing ever happens, really. That's like a bit disappointing. 
I mean, it sounds like the last person is a villain, but not really. Then not I mean, really. Well, no spoilers. No spoilers. Yeah. But there are there are twists and turns, and you don't know what's going to happen. And the, the twists and turns are more figuring out who the people are and how they're actually related to each other, not an actual peril. You know. Yeah, I get it. Right. Okay. okay. But there are there are big huh? twists in the story that you don't see coming, and there's the usual horrible. You know, some old Victorian aunt writes her in her you know in her will yeah. someone someone should read this journal i've written you know a, a defense of my treatment of my niece here's why i was a just horrible horrible person throughout her entire life and let her you know <laughs> live in the streets and starve to death and i believe i'm morally justified in my conduct there's a lot of these types of dickensian <laughs> people you know i would say this book takes place in a Dick- in a dickens universe it's very Dickensian. It's one of the most Dickensian of Wilkie Collins' books. Because they're not oh, all, so, you know, they're not all Dickensian. And did he not co-write a book with Dickens as well, to be fair? I, I think they co-wrote a lot of short stories and things, and Christmas stories and ghost stories, yeah. And oh, interestingly, yeah. this book opens with a prologue where Wilkie Collins says, this was my third book, and for some reason it didn't sell as well as the other two, and I believe it was because of the Crimean War, and then I waited a few years to get it reprinted, and blah 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 and he's kind of like excusing like why did this book not not do so well um now this was before the famous ones this was after basil but it was before the moonstone and the woman in white you know um i don't know i think that he's gonna have to set himself up for failure because apart from like two or three books most of his books i think didn't really do all that well yeah yeah right okay poor job uh, he was just never quite as good as dickens but honestly i think he's he is a fantastic author in his own right, you know. Certainly better than the the Twilights and the, and the Fifty Shades of Grey and whatever you know trash that your people are yeah. reading. Hey, Dean, hold on a second. Stop. Uh, it's a very loud the bus. Someone's putting on with it. And the the only last thing I really want to say about it, um, you know, just like the last book, we've got nice people. We've got a, an element yeah. of wholesomeness in it. And this girl, they treat her like she's 22 at the end of it, I think, but they still treat her like a child and she shouldn't go out without someone looking after her and they're worried about her and all this kind of stuff. And they do treat her like a child. Um, and she draws on a little slate board, but she gets into the art and she draws a nice picture for her friend, Zach. And we think maybe there's going to be a love story with Zach, but then that doesn't happen either. In, in a sense, really, right. not a lot does happen <laughs> in, in a way. Um, but it's still very nice. Um, but it does also lead into this month's sponsor because there's a chap in a flashback called a Mr. <laughs> Carr, and he's a botanist. And they say it's very strange okay. this young young man would be interested in things like like flowers. It's not very manly at all. You should really be interested in in hunting. Um, and so this <laughs> month we are sponsored by the Hunting Academy for Botanists. So chaps, if you're a botanist <laughs> and you want to just learn some hunting instead and and be more manly. Head over to the botanistshuntersacademy.gov.org.edu and they'll help you right out. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that you would do. <laughs> oh, Lord. So, stop the bus, Tom. Stop the bus. That's what my grandmother always said. So, it's a very random thing again. Stop the bus. Stop you take the your bus. interpretation of that. Then I'm looking, I, I'm, uh, we might as well tell the listeners I, I'm recording this under very unusual circumstances i was <laughs> in my classroom at school teaching in a lovely place tafir gran canaria but i've decided to uh, continue the show in the bus but i have to admit someone was being very loud perhaps it was me there was someone now is putting on very annoying tiktok videos 
And I'm now here. It's raining a bit. I'm under my yoga mat, literally under my yoga mat, out in the field. Lovely palm trees. That's a lovely field. Isn't it, it looks lovely, but you're a wild man. You know that. I'm a, I'm a wild man, literally under my yoga mat. Very, very fitting because I was reading a book by a yogi. You know what I mean? Mm. Also, so there you go. And I thought, yeah, yeah, open cards on the table. Won't pretend to be in an office today. I don't think I've ever sat in an office for any of our shows. It's been ridiculous places altogether. <laughs> well, one time you brought sheep to the show, so that was lovely. <laughs> and the grasshoppers. You remember that? A full sack of grasshoppers. They, they were less lovely, yeah, but they were, they, they were there. <laughs> anyway, I'm enjoying the view under my yoga mats, feeling very much like in the cave, listening to you. Oh, there's rainbow. Look at that. Oh, lovely. There was a lovely rainbow oh, here yesterday that. as well. That's, Fantastic. That's a lovely, that's a lovely sign. Anyway, continue, uh, uh, Dean. Uh, yeah, I only have two more books, so book? we're going to finally do a, a brief episode, but Very let's usual. take... Um, yeah, let's take the next one. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> 